and and we've seen some 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 pretty terrible things. Uh, for forty five or for two and a half years, we lived forty five miles from the war front. And I remember one time, um, the rebels said they had caught a rebel and they had brought him into town. And and I remember seeing how they treated him, and it was it was horrific what they were doing to him. The the way they had him tied was in, just incredible. But then later on, um, somebody said they killed him, and they decapitated him and, and threw him over the bridge in the water. And I went to that bridge, and I looked down in that water, and I seen that corpse laying there. And it really disturbed me. You know, that, that a human body could be treated as such. And I was going to go down there, and I was going to latch onto that corpse, and I was going to pull it out. And they, they begged me to refrain from doing that because they said they will do the same to you. They will think that you're in cahoots with the rebels. And so I didn't because I have a wife, I had a wife and four children over there. But it really bothered me, you know, that people could do that to another human being and, uh, and then throw them in the water over the bridge. You know, disgusting to say the least. But, you know, um, when we look at the big picture and we see the fall of mankind and you throw in the mix of that the influence of Satan and all his hatred towards God's prized creation because that's what we are. Out of all the things that God has ever made as a creator, you and me, we are his prized possession. And always remember this. The Bible says, He that touches you touches the apple of God's eye. And uh, so, how we treat mankind, man is made in the image of God. And there will be consequences to come. Judgment day. The old saying goes, the wheels of God's judgment, they, they turn, but they turn slow and fine. He doesn't miss anything. Amen. Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke chapter 10. I would encourage you, if, you know, to get some reliable news sources if you can and, 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 and really pay attention to what's going on in Israel. Um, really pay attention. Uh, these things are extremely significant. Again, that's God's prophetic timepiece is that nation there. Luke chapter 10, very familiar story. We've preached from this a time or two down through the years. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. May the Lord add the blessings to the reading of his word, and everyone said, Amen. The parable number 17 here this morning is the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. A lawyer came to Jesus and he asked him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, the Bible says he was tempting the master. And Jesus answers his question with a question. What is written in the law? The lawyer answers and after his conscience is touched, he asks again, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then tells this parable. Once again, it's important that we try to understand the background, the setting of what is being said in Scripture. We never want to take just one Scripture and build a theology on it without considering all the other things that are around it. It's like the old saying goes, context is always king. And so if we look at, at the uh, context of chapter 10, that's what, where, where this is out of, we see here that Jesus sends out another 70 disciples. Now, a lot of people, they've never heard this before, or they didn't put it together. But in, Matthew 10, or in Luke 10, 1, it says, after these things, the Lord appointed another 70 also. And this is where I, I, I think it's interesting when, you know, we always say there was 12 disciples. There was, but then there was also 70 more. So that makes 82. <laughs> interesting. I mean, <laughs> uh, simple math. And Jesus sent them out two by twos. 
And Jesus gave them a criteria for evangelism. You know, knock on the doors, and if they receive you, bless the house. If they don't, just go out and wipe the feet off your, or the dust off your feet and, and uh, move on and, and so on. And after they had gone out and had, had returned to Jesus, <laughs> they were so excited. They, they, they made statements, and uh, let, let's see here. In uh, chapter 10, it says here, and... He said, I gave you power over scorpions and things like that. And the men came back and they were rejoicing. They were excited that even the spirits and, 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 and healings and things like that, um, Jesus told them to do all these things. And they came back excited because they were able to do these things because they were commissioned by Christ. And the 70 returned again with joy and, and so on and... Uh, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name, verse 17. That's what I was looking for. So they were all excited that even when we rebuked the devils and people, that, that the devils left and they listened to us. And Jesus was even, the Bible says, even uh, um, happy that they had experienced this. And so that's the setting in, in Luke chapter 10. And then as he's privately talking to his disciples, there came a lawyer. And this lawyer stood up and, and asked him some questions. There's always that one person that has that, that, that desire to want to trip somebody up in what they're saying, especially when it comes to spiritual things. The distance between the two cities um, from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 18 miles. And in that 18 miles, the elevation difference was about 1,000 feet. And so it was a, it was a, it was a trek. I seen a, a picture online of, of this very, very road, and it was really interesting. It was a road that went through... Um, it almost looked like um, uh, Petra through, through caverns or, or real narrow trails in, in mountainous regions and so on. And immediately when you see this road, you think, my, it'd be easy for bandits, you know, to perch up on the hillsides and things like that and, and pounce on people. That's, that's what this road was, was, was known for. Matter of fact, the term thieves does not do justice to the translation. Joseph calls them violent and bloody men who stripped him. The road was so bad that they called it the red or the bloody way was this road to Jericho because of the blood that had been shed on this particular route. It's just one of those routes that you really didn't want to travel, but it was needful if you were going from this city to that city. You know, it doesn't really shock us. I mean, history really doesn't change the way things are today. And what I mean by that, there are places today in our own nation here, United States of America, there are some cities where you just don't want to go to. 
You don't want to go down through the, the, the side streets of Chicago. Um, you know, there's people murdered every weekend in Chicago, sometimes 40, 50, 60. People are murdered in Chicago. They're murdered in the streets of L.A. They're murdered, murdered in Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles, Atlanta. I mean, these are war zones. This is in, in our country. I, I remember growing up as a little boy, if, if, if the, the word or if somebody murdered somebody, it was, it was news. Whoa, somebody got killed. You know, somebody was shot or something like that. And I, and I lived probably, I don't know, we lived probably an hour and a half from two hours from Gary, Indiana, which is like the murder epicenter of the world at, for, for, for a long time. And uh, murder w wasn't anything that was common uh, back then as it is today. We, we just, we know it's there, we hear it in the news, and we just choose to stay away from them places. Or at least I do anyway. I don't want to go into those cities. And uh, here, uh, a couple years ago, Peter and I made a run to Indiana to uh, by a Jeep, and we went through Chicago, and we went through at night, and we didn't stop. We got through the city. We m went through the bypass and everything, and I didn't want to have any car trouble or anything like that going through there, and uh, we, were, we were both ready, <laughs> you know, but, but uh, you know, it's still the concern of just driving down the road through these cities, because that's where most of the, the, the main uh, uh, freeways go and so on. The, the cities, unfortunately, in our country have become war zones. Washington, D.C., they say, is just a horrible place. A horrible place. Our nation's capital is a horrible place to go and visit and roam the streets. And then, you know, and, and let me just, while I'm on my soapbox here a little bit here this morning, just in, in extreme negativity... <laughs> You know, I seen a picture this past week of the illegals coming across our, our border. It's just mind-boggling, mind-boggling how these people come through here and just are being put on buses and planes and moved to other places um, around the country. I, I was telling Debbie, matter of fact, I, I looked it up this morning. You know, Rome was a great empire. It, it, it was. And, but the fall of Rome, the top three reasons why Rome fell. Number one was corruption in the government. Number two was the division in the governmental parties, like Democrat, Republican. Number three was the, the invasion of illegals into their country, known as the, what were they called? The ghouls. Was it the ghouls? The, they were germanium. And I think, think they were called the ghouls, I, I, I believe. Huh? The Gauls. the Gauls. There you go, the Gauls. Not the gruels, the Gauls. <laughs> but that, those three reasons are the main reasons why Rome fell. And you see just almost the exact same thing going on here in the United States of America. I remember when we lived in Sierra Leone, there was the capital city there was Freetown. 
Freetown was, a, was massive. And there was, uh, we, we would go there and we would buy supplies and then go back up country 150 miles. And, but Freetown was where it was at, man. Everybody wanted to go to Freetown. It was just a lot of people in, in dire poverty. And, and there was this, these, this, this one section of the city where we would go and buy supplies. The Lebanese people, the Muslims, were the merchant people there. And they were on what they called E Street. You could go up and down E Street uh, very carefully because it was, a, it was a hot place for corruption and crime. But that's where the Lebanese uh, merchants were. And we'd buy our nails and cement and, you know, and whatever, you know, hinges, doorknobs, whatever we needed in, in building our buildings. And, uh, but from E Street, there was then what they called Lower E Street. And it was really bad. You just didn't go down there. You just didn't. Matter of fact, one of the missionaries that I was with one time, we were there uh, on E Street. We had just purchased some things from the, from the Lebanese. And uh, he opened his car door, his truck door, and he threw his money bag. We, you, you, you did not carry a wallet. You literally carried a bag because their money had no value. And so you carried boxes or bags of money. And he opened up his door and threw it in there. Well, somebody hollered at him. And he turned and looked, and somebody reached in there and grabbed that. It was like, you know, a couple thousand dollars in Leon's. Well, we went and called the police, and, you know, the police came. And, and of course, that's a, that's a joke within itself. And, and somebody said they went down that stairwell there. Well, that stairwell went to Lower East Street. And, and the police basically said, well, it's your loss because we ain't going down there. <laughs> it was just a bad neighborhood, a place you didn't go down. It was right, right down by the... Uh, by the ocean. Remember that there are always two poles in a man's nature. The negative pole is that there, men are always going to be in need for something. I mean, we're seeing it more and more and more in our, in our society, especially in Missoula. I mean, homelessness is, is, is just crazy. You get on some of the side streets there in in Missoula, and you see the, the rundown campers and the tents and, you know, people where they're just living anywhere, everywhere that they can. My barber, I, we were talking about it, and he said he donated some time to go down and cut the hair of homeless people. And this is exactly what he said. He asked one of the homeless people, he said, where are you from? And he says, Florida. And my barber said, well, what brings you to Missoula? And he said, a free haircut. A free haircut. You know, they, 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 they just kind of move where, where they can exist, where they can be taken care of. And unfortunately, we live in close to one of these cities where it is, they, they accept this with open arms. And, and I'm kind of leading up to something here. I don't mean to sound cold and, and uncaring. That uh, I'm deliberately going down this, this direction here. And so you, you, you see the negative pull that man is always in need. But then there's the, the positive pull in man. And what I mean by the positive pull, that he's all, there's always a person out there that is willing to help that person in need. 
That's just the way it is. Matter of fact, I, years ago in Sierra Leone, I preached a message on, uh, I, we, we did a conference and somebody asked me to do a, a message and I haven't looked at it since I preached it. And this was 30 some years ago. So I'm really stretching my memory here. And, uh, but on the poor, and I remember as I studied that, the Bible says so much about the poor. The Jesus or the psalmist said, or Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs. It says that the poor you will always have with you. They'll always be there. If you read the book of Ruth, you'll see that when uh, Naomi and Ruth came in, when they came back to Israel, Boaz, you know, he was, he was, uh, he was, he was a big farmer, you know, and he was, uh, during harvest time, the Lord said, you will not cut the corners of your fields because that's left for the poor people. They will come in handfuls of purpose. They'll, they'll come in and, and they'll harvest that. You're leaving that for the poor because God knows that the poor are always going to be around us. They're there. Our, our, our world is full of, of people who have been abused by society and they've been left alone to die. Matter of fact, I started out in a, in a city mission, in, in ministry. Elkhart City Mission is where Debbie and I first spent our time together. Um, not only, well, it was before we were married. We, we went to the city mission and we donated our time. It's a, it's a real interesting place to go. I, I would challenge anybody to do it. I was freshly saved, and this is before I met her, and I went in there, and, and the man's name was Ray Noctegall. He was the superintendent, and I told him, I said, my name's Mike Metzger. I just gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm called to preach, and I want to do something for the Lord. <laughs> he said, okay, and I didn't know anything, folks, and uh, he said, you can, uh, he said, in order for street people uh, transients to spend the night in this mission, they, there's certain things they have to do. They have to read so many scriptures a day. They have to, they, they've got certain duties that they've got to do, and they have a sign-off card. And he said, what I want you to do is you go over here to this little room, and they'll start lining up, and they'll come in, and you'll have them read to you a portion out of the scripture, out of the Bible. I said, okay, and he said, if they're illiterate, then you'll read to them, and then you sign your name on there, and they've checked that off. If, if they don't go through this, you know, these parameters for staying uh, in the mission, then they're, they're, they're put back out on the street. But I, it, it, it was an, a real eye-opener for me. Matter of fact, it was the, I needed that because we were going to Sierra Leone, which was really super poor. And I, I, I remember... Uh, preaching there, and, and, I, and, I, and I, 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 I can't express this the, the way that reality, but I would preach to those street people. There might be 20, 30, 40 of them in the little chapel there, and I'd ask them to come into the altars, and they'd come into the altars, and they stunk so bad, and probably most of them didn't have a mind anymore. Try praying with somebody that is, I, I, I remember praying with one guy, and, and as I was praying for him, he said, Elvis is trying to get me and kill me. 
Who's Elvis? He's from another planet. I mean, you know, trying to rationally deal with people that where they don't have a mind anymore is, is very, very difficult. And so there are people that, that make the wrong choices in life and go down that road that, that consequent, consequently ends with people like we see on the streets in Missoula. Is there any help for them? Is there? You know, we, we make merchandise out of them so that we can get more tax dollars and government funding, you know, to, and I, I need to stop, <laughs> you know, but you, you all know where I'm going with that. But the, 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 the problem that, that we see or that, I, that I've seen in, in my tenure of working in a city mission was it's, it's, it's extremely difficult for somebody to come out of that environment. It just is. But sometimes they can do it because they have somebody to help them and show an interest in them. It's the exception to the rule. When it comes to man and religion, Jesus reveals that a priest and a Levite both encountered the man on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Now, this, this is interesting read. Some scholars estimate that there were over 10,000 priests and Levites living in Jericho. These men were very familiar with the word of God and worked within the temple. The priests and the Levites would have been a continual presence on the road between the two cities. The priests and the Levites are the ones that constantly were in Jesus' face. They hated him. The priest had an opportunity to execute his office before God, but he willingly chose not to. There was a Levite that passed by and crossed to the other side of the road to avoid this man in need. I, I've seen that twice in my life in Sierra Leone. Once up country, and I had, a, I had a police officer with me. We were driving down the road, and there was a body laying in the first lane of traffic. And I asked the police officer, I said, do we need to stop and he said, no, we don't need to get involved. Out in that hot sun, just laying there dead, a corpse. And like everybody else, I mean, you could literally watch people coming because everybody walked. They'd come up that side of the road and they'd go to the other side and go down and then they'd cross back over. I seen another body in, in Freetown, the capital city where, where it's like Hong Kong, bumper to bumper traffic, and, but there was a corpse laying in the road. And I tell you, people drove around it. They found a way to get around it, walk around it. Nobody wanted anything. So understanding that, that culture, you know, really sheds a lot of light on some of these stories that you, that you read about in, in the Bible such as this. This religious man, he, 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 he walked to the other side of the road, and when he went around him, you know, he was, uh, he, he was cruel and he was wicked. The Bible says, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. He looked at that man. He looked at him and chose to go around him. 
And the man wasn't dead. I, you know, giving a little latitude to a corpse, like when I seen that decapitated man, you know, that's one thing. But when you see somebody that's still breathing, somebody that still has life in them, that totally changes everything. But he went to the other side. Having seen his miserable condition, bleeding from the open wounds, he passed by on the other side. Well, you know, th this is all rhetorical thought on my part. But, you know, knowing what the Bible says about the priests and the Levites, maybe the priest might have, have said, well, I'm going to be late for my temple duties, or maybe... I'll bloody my clothes, and then I'll be ceremonial unclean and not be able to go in and do my duties as a, as a priest. And, and, and maybe the Levite, in his mind, he's just, this is not safe. Maybe there's others that are watching and so on. Maybe somebody might try to do this to me, or uh, somebody might think that I'm the one that did it and, and sees me, and so I'm not going to get involved. Nobody wants to get involved. And nobody does. I mean, we see that today. The, the more and more we live our lives, we see people simply don't want to get involved. Just go around it. Not that we should carelessly plunge into things that, that will harm us. I'm, I hope you understand me here. Both of these religions left a man to die. He was alone naked, and he was hurting. But Jesus' point in this, ordinary human compassion is a higher priority than ritual obligations. Saul was told to kill Agag, the Amalekite, by God. You'll go to war with them, kill him, and do not take any spoils of war. And Saul did. He took the king and took the best of the sheep. And he offered one to God in a sacrifice. And Samuel heard the bleeding of the, of the sheep. And he said, what's going on here? Is that sheep that I hear? And Saul said, well, I gave the best to God. And Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice. And so the kingdom will be stripped from you, Saul. We live in a, in a time, and, and, and maybe that's not a right usage of my thought here. There has always been a time, let's put it that way, where Governments, the powers that be, try to desensitize people. It's a counter to Christianity. It's a counter to anything that's, that's right. And what I mean by that, this world desensitizes people from having compassion on their neighbor by all the things that are going on that I've already described. We live in a dog-eat-dog -dog society. We don't, we don't notice that so much today because we live in western Montana in Real Valley County. <laughs> you know, it's conservative. Missoula's in, on the other side, you know. And, but we live out, uh, used to be in the sticks, Eugene. 
<laughs> Not anymore. Houses popping up all around us and so on. But, you know, another thing that I see, and I was, I was voicing this to someone just the other day, and, I, and if I could get you to take this and swallow it and not spit it out, I would feel like I've accomplished something here this morning. Our lives are so busy, we're constantly on the run, and we cannot see the need to help somebody else. We're so caught up in our own life and, and, and so on. It kind of goes with Peter's message on sanctification this morning. We get so caught up in what we do that we're out of the will of God. When Jesus said, the will of God is loving your neighbor. Our society has programmed us to live in the fast lane. And folks, I want you to know, it's not going to get any slower. It, the pace is picking up. I don't have hardly any time anymore. I'm just, it's a vortex. I'm, I'm caught up into it just like everybody else is. I have got to make myself take time, amen, to have my time with the Lord. Because if I don't do it, if I don't put my foot down, something else is going to uh, encroach upon my time, and I will not allow that. I won't. We're living in such a fast-paced life that we no longer have church time, we no longer have family time, and we no longer see the need for helping others. We just don't see it. But, but, and I'm not trying to soften the condition that we're in, That's, but, but it's really hard not to, to be that way sometimes because there's so many things going on that cause us to, to, to shadow back. And I don't know, whether, you, know you know, during the, the, the last elections, you know, we had Black Lives Matter, the George Floyd things. And that, that's all a travesty. That's all sad that, that all that happened. But look what came out of it. There was another agenda. Antifa, look what Antifa, so people, the cities, as we said earlier, people don't want to go there because these extremist groups are there, and they don't care about anybody, nobody. So it's hard to be compassionate. It's all a concerted effort to try to, to get our values as Christian tweaked so that we just turn the cheek or look the other direction. Our democratic government has ruined our nation's borders and cities. It, it just has. Chicago's O'Hare, even the, the, the Democrats, the Democratic strongholds are starting to complain now. Chicago's O'Hare Airport is a big, the airport terminal itself is a big housing unit for illegals. They don't know what to do with them all. New York is, is their, their hotels are full of illegals. I, I read where I, I, the Patriots were in, in L.A. or someplace, and they couldn't even get a motel because they were full of illegals. Man, this is awesome, isn't it? Great message, Pastor, this morning here. <laughs> And it's not going to slow down any. 
But what I like about Scripture, but there was a certain man. There was a certain man. A certain man. A certain man. Matter of fact, that, <laughs> that's still in the negative. That certain man is the one that fell amongst thieves and got ripped off. <laughs> you ever feel like you hold your pocketbook a little bit closer than you ever did before? Roy's concerned about our dollar. When we live in this kind of environment, folks, we have a tendency to get cold and hard and living our lives and trusting no one. We've become cynical towards our government and all of its scandals, and I'm not justifying any of that stuff, but it's having a bad impact on its populace. You know what, Quentin, Quentin was here. He said something that blew my mind. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, before Hawaii was brought into statehood with the United States, it was a kingdom. And he said, amongst their people, white people are hated. The Polynesians and uh, Samo Samoans. They're big people. And he said, you, don't want to, you, you want to watch out what villages you go into because they don't like white people because of what happened after Pearl Harbor and how we you know, took everything. And, but he said, as an evangelist, coming here to the States and meeting the people in the United States, people such as you and myself and other great people in this, he realized that it's not the people, but it was the government over the people. And he's been trying to get that message conveyed back to them. It's not all white people that are bad. It's the government of the United States that's bad. And we are on the air, aren't we, going all around? To... It's pathetic. Living with these kind of pressures caused some people to have an attitude problem with God. They blame God for everything that's going on. And I, and I think I told Debbie just the other day that religion in the United States is plummeting to an all-time low. People just don't want anything to do with God anymore. And it shows. It shows. Now the positive. There was a certain Samaritan. The certain Samaritan was exposed to the same dangers as the others were exposed to. He could have been a Jew, which the, the Samaritans um, detested. But it says a certain Samaritan. Some people are so hard and cruel that if you're not a certain color, you're dis discriminated against with hatred and violence. But this man, the Bible says he had compassion on, on him. Compassion, if you look it up in the Greek, I, the Greek word is about 
10, 15 letters long, but it means when he looked upon him, his bowels churned. Compassion. The priest and the Levite, they boasted as them as being ministers of God. But the Jews' hatred towards the Samaritans were even seen in the verbiage that they used towards Jesus in, in John chapter 8 and 48. They, they, they said, are you a Samaritan? You have a devil. They, that's what they accused Christ of. You can read it for yourself. John 8, 48. Some Samaritans detested the treatment they received from the Jews and sought to kill them. Josephus also said that Samaritans entered Jerusalem secretly and polluted the temple by scattering human bones in it. <laughs> Samaritans, if you're wondering who a Samaritan is, a Samaritan is a, is a, is a they ha, they're just a mixed breed of different people and they have a little bit of Jew in them. Like a half breed or a quarter breed or something like that and they're detested. But the heart of this one Samaritan was not hardened. The Bible says he bound up his wounds, no doubt with the strips of cloth taken from his own garment. He revived the guy, sat him on his mule, and took him to the end. See, not everybody has a bad heart. Everybody is not bad. Some people are good. And, and I'm not doing justice to the strain in the relationship between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans. There's so much that can be said in Scripture. Jesus healed a Samaritan leper in Luke 17. He honored this Samaritan for his neighborliness. He praised a Samaritan for his gratitude in Luke 17. He asked for a drink from a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. <laughs> I love that story. He, he, he said, give me a drink. <laughs> and, she, and, and she said, well, this is my, you know, cryptic version here. This is Jacob's well. And, and uh, Jesus said, I'll give you some water that you'll never thirst again. And, and he told her who she was, read her, 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 her life story to her, and she got so excited, she went to her town, told all the people in her, her town, Samaria, and they came out and Jesus preached to all of them. <laughs> That's so awesome. Matter of fact, after Jesus ascended, in Acts 1.8, he says, and ye shall receive power if the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And Samaria. Philip, in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says he went to Samaria to preach. To preach. The good Samaritan dressed the victim's wound, let the man ride on his donkey while he walked through this dangerous territory. 
He paid money to the innkeeper for extended convalescent care. He even promised credit for additional funds that might be needed in a lengthy stay. Now, Hannah, as you come to the piano, I want us to observe some qualities of this Samaritan. Just kind of look at yourself. These were good qualities. He had eyes. He was looking. He didn't turn his head, but he had eyes and he could see that there was a man in need. Last week, Debbie and I went down to Victor. On our way down, I seen a car alongside the road. I seen the hood up, and I see an elderly man outstanding by the, the roadside. And I thought about stopping, and I said, no, I won't, in my mind. So we went down to Victor, turned around, came back, and he's still there. But he's walking down the, the bike path, and I think, this guy has a problem, obviously, with his car. We went probably a mile down the road, and I just thought, man, I'm going to turn around. So I turned around right in the middle of 93, and I went back. I pulled off the side of the road, and the guy's walking back up the bike path. And I said, you need any help? And he goes, no, somebody's on the way. <laughs> so I turned around and went the other way. <laughs> do you see the needs of people around you? Or do we just take for granted that help is on the way from another source? He had a heart. How can anybody with a heart look upon a person wounded, left for dead? The Samaritan, he not only had eyes to see, a heart for compassion, but he had feet that moved right up to him. He had hands that reached down and cared for him. It took thought out of that man to pour oil in his wounds. It took time for that Samaritan to make sure he was bandaged and able to travel. And that Samaritan put him on his own beast, his own donkey. And when he got to the inn, he spoke and told the innkeeper, whatever he needs, take care of it because I've got the resources to go beyond what I leave for you. There's people today with those qualities in their life. It's not all bad, folks. You can be a good Samaritan, you and me, when everything else is just on, on a downward sp spiral. You and I can still be somebody different. The lawyer was obviously a scholar of the law but void of the principles of the law. 
they simply weren't active in his life. Remember, he was tempting Christ. You know, the greater lesson of this story, matter of fact, there's two of them, and I'll close. When we were lost, when Mike Metzger was lost, when I was left for dead, when I was naked, when no one wanted to help me, he came to me and took time with me. Isn't the whole crux of being a Christian, being Christ-like? Isn't it? The practical lesson that we can learn from this parable of the Good Samaritan is to give to others what we've already been given. Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word here this morning. It's a good word. Lord, we live in a hostile world. We don't see it too much because we're still country people here. We still live somewhat secluded. But Lord, the rest of our country from the Mississippi east, Lord, is rough. I feel for the people that live there. But Lord, help us in our isolation, geographically speaking, help us not to lose our sight for helping somebody. Being like Christ and looking into somebody's need, spending time, having compassion, even if it costs us a little money. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name.